0: Welcome to Dark Poutine, I'm Mike Brown, creator and host with me as usual is my good friend and co-host Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott.
1: I'm going to say hello to everybody other than Scott. Okay. Hello, all of you.
0: Hello, all not Scots. (laughs) Well, even if you're a Scott, but not this Scott, hello to you as well. There must be another Scott Hemingway on the planet, I'm pretty sure. I've
1: Googled, there is.
0: There you go. Yeah.
2: The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of CuriousCast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment.
0: Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque. Grab yourself a double double and a Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. joppity choppity jump. At that we are uh, off to crime con again.
1: Oh man! I thought it was like just once a year.
0: It is once a year. Well, it
1: hasn't even been six months.
0: Like I thought it was like the same day, like every year, same weekend every year. It sort of seems that way. It's in May. It's yeah. on May first to third, twenty twenty. It's in Orlando, Florida. Yeah. And when did uh, when
1: was when did we go last?
0: Last May. Get the hell out of here! We did <laughs> we not totally did. No it What we... Yep. And if you want. 10% off yeah. your tickets at checkout on the crimecon.com website. When you buy your tickets, use Poutine20 as your checkout code. I, please do. Please do. Because yeah. it hooks us up. Not, not only you, but it hooks us up. So just some background. Last year we were able to get two rooms paid for. So it helps the show out because rooms at CrimeCon are about a thousand bucks for.
1: Yeah, and Mike doesn't have to see me dancing around in my undies though. Yeah, we not rather. we don't
0: have to share a room. Well, Carol's going to be there this this time too, so Oh, she really doesn't, need, she to really doesn't yeah. need to see that. She see that. Also, we mentioned the Yumber Yard at the beginning of the show last time. Then <laughs> suddenly And suddenly we had 200 people sign up yeah. like almost right away. So yeah. come on to our Facebook group, The Yumber Yard if you haven't yet. You're missing out because everybody's a big old nerd in there and we're yep. all having fun.
1: But having said that, if you're a dick, we're going to boot you out. Yeah.
0: I had to boot a couple of new dicks.
1: <laughs> yep. Plain and simple. If you come in there to start shit or <laughs> yeah. to- Please uh, don't. Yeah. We yeah.
0: ask you if you're a good egg because we want you to be a good egg. Yeah. And if you go in there and decide to pick on people and call them the C word. Yeah. And it's the lady C word, not the man C word. <laughs> And it was all over a cupcake, but anyway. Oh,
1: no, I got, I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I just, we, yeah. I mean. Just be nice. We, we're trying to have a fun environment, not one that sucks your soul out. So if you're a soul
0: sucker, <laughs>
1: we're going to, we'll be a soul spitter. Please
0: stay away. Yeah. Me. Also, we have firmed up our dates at Fan Expo Vancouver. Firmed. February 15th to 17th. We are going to be there on February 16th. That's Sunday. Sunday, doing a live show, so you can show up and see Scott and I doing a live show. And I think we might have a guest. I'm I'm sort of bashing around mm, the idea. Intriguing. Yes, I will be doing a panel on the Saturday on the fifteenth, and then on Monday the seventeenth, we won't be there. I don't think so. Come either fifteenth, the fifteenth or the sixteenth. Yeah, or both. or both. Both. Both would be great. But if you want to come to our live show come to the 16th yeah we'll be there There we'll be
1: there live
0: awesome yeah this is episode 107 in this episode we're headed back to st john's newfoundland oh for another frustrating case
1: well, yeah. Um, most glad. of them I'm, gl- are. I'm really glad that we're heading back to Newfoundland. Not glad that
0: is for for uh, a, a frustrating
1: case. For a frustrating, violent case, most likely.
0: Yep. Many of the facts in this case come from court documents and a subsequent inquiry held scrutinizing the police handling of the investigation mm. and two other cases wow. in oh. Newfoundland. Jeebus. In the apartment at 194 Empire Avenue, St. John's, at 8 30 in the morning on saturday june 12 1993 nine-year-old cindy young walked into the living room and saw something she would never be able to forget there on the living room floor on her right side in a pool of blood beside the sofa lay cindy's mother brenda marie young 26. the young mother had been brutally stabbed 31 times the remnants of a mostly eaten late-night takeout meal from Wendy sat nearby. The lower half of Brenda's body was nude, and her underwear was wrapped around her neck. Thoughtful young Cindy quickly covered up her mother's exposed body with a blanket, fearing her little brother, four-year-old Tyrone, would be upset by the sight. At 8:32 a.m., Cindy called 911, sobbing. On November 3rd. 1994, the Montreal Gazette printed a transcript of the phone call that the nine year old made after finding her mother. It reads in part quote, I found my mom on the floor, dead. I found my mom this morning on the floor and she's dead, Cindy told the person who answered. The operator asked her to hold while the call was put through to the ambulance dispatcher. What's wrong, my darling? the dispatcher said. My mom's dead, said the sobbing girl. Who? My mom. The dispatcher took her name and address and had her repeat it and confirm it several times because she was barely discernible through her sobs. Okay, he said, we'll send somebody along. Then after just 26 seconds, he hung up instead of staying on the line to keep in contact with the girl. End quote.
1: Oh, there's so much there to unpack. I mean, poor girl.
0: Yeah. So you're nine years old. You find your mother, brutally murdered, blood everywhere, lying on the floor on, on her side in your living room. Your little brother is, your four-year-old yeah. brother is still asleep in his room. So you cover her.
1: The thoughtfulness of that little girl. Mm-hmm. Nine. So that's Olivia's age. So just imagine.
0: Yeah. Oof.
1: Little Olivia. I can't imagine that. Yeah. Like, oh my God. and And then... For the 911 operator to hang just up. Just hang up, yeah. Like, I don't know a lot about the training, and I'm not trying to criticize this. No, well, I this, guess I this am, was, but. This
0: was deemed to be problematic Yeah, because the, the call was said to have been mishandled. Yeah,
1: because you you always hear uh, them trying to we'll keep the person on the you. line. Yeah. and uh,
0: Especially a nine-year-old. Oh my God,
1: nobody more so than a nine-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, oh,
0: fuck. After hanging up from the 911 call, Cindy called her great-grandmother, Josephine Dyke, to tearfully tell her what had happened to Brenda. Mm. Cindy then made her way downstairs to talk to neighbors until first responders arrived five minutes after her call. Cindy met the emergency team and led them to her mother's body. Brenda was pronounced dead at the scene and the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary were called to investigate. Cindy and Tyrone were taken away from the horrific scene and placed in one of the responding fire units where they were attended to by a friendly fireman.
1: This might sound odd to say, but I, I think I would be more traumatized by seeing the poor child in tears mm. and in pain than, than seeing the body just because...
0: Well, these guys are trained to... Yeah, I know, you know, yeah. And they see that. This is one of the True. jobs that you don't think about as a as a first responder or no. a fireman is dealing with a victim at the scene. Yeah. And the children are victims as well, obviously. This one fireman's job was to make sure that the kids were okay and to comfort them and to yeah. just be with them while well, what was going on inside was going on.
1: Already with a with an adult, it is difficult to be rational during these kind of situations. And so for this fireman to be talking to somebody who, even if they were rational, it's still difficult yeah. to, to navigate those conversations and then to have the poor child so traumatized. Oh, everything is just right off the
0: bat. This is killing me. Cindy told the firefighter a story. From the Lammer inquiry report chaired by Chief Justice Antoine Lammer, the fireman stated, quote, she said she thought she heard her mother calling her name sometime during the night. She sat up and never heard anything, thought she'd dreamed it, and went back to bed, end quote. (sighs) Right? Only 15 minutes later, Josephine Dyke arrived in her car to take the children back to her home and allow investigators to do their job. Before they could drive off, though, Royal Newfoundland Constabulary Lieutenant Desmond Peddle stopped them. He was the weekend supervisor for the Criminal Investigative Division on duty, the morning that Brenda's body was found. Mm-hmm. He wanted to ask questions to the children about what they'd seen and heard. He spoke to both Cindy and Tyrone in their great-grandmother's car, making notes as he went.
1: Hmm. okay.
0: According to the Lammer inquiry report, Petal's notes from the conversation say, quote, Tyrone said that Randy killed his mother. He stabbed her. Mrs. Dyke stopped him from saying anything further. I told her to be quiet. I asked Cindy what happened and she said Randy killed my mom, Randy killed mom. I asked if she saw what happened and she said no. Mrs. Dyke again started talking about the children not seeing or knowing what had happened. She said they only think that's what's happened because Brenda told them about Randy being in jail for stabbing someone before. Mm. Cindy said that Randy stabbed her mother during the next minute or so. I had difficulty getting the children to say what happened as Mrs. Dyke was interfering. I told her not to speak to the children again, end quote.
1: Yeah, the protocol is always to separate witnesses so that one isn't influenced in the other or you don't have somebody taking control of the
0: conversation. Sure. So far, this is an interesting one. Yeah. The Randy being referred to was 28-year-old Randolph John Drukin, the longtime boyfriend of Brenda Young. The couple had been known to have a tumultuous relationship, including violence against Brenda at Randy's hands. Mm. Druken was also well-known to police for a long criminal history, heavy drinking, and drug use. So from that moment on, according to the Lammer inquiry, in Peddle's mind at least, Randy Drukin was suspect number one in Brenda Young's death.
1: Yeah, clearly.
0: Brenda Marie Young was born in St. John's on August 19, 1966. Brenda, only days old, had been placed in the care of her grandparents, Edmund, a caretaker at the Salvation Army Cemetery, and his wife, Josephine. The couple raised Brenda as if she'd been a daughter. There's nothing I could find to explain the reasoning behind, uh, Brenda living with her grandparents and not her own parents. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'd rather not make assumptions into what was going on. Yeah, good call. As in the case of my own adoption, circumstances can be more complicated than they first appear. Yeah, yeah, good point. Brenda married young. She had Cindy on August 4, 1983, only two weeks before her own 18th birthday. Tyrone was born just over five years later on August 28, 1988. By the time Brenda connected with Randy Drukin, she was divorced and she'd had other relationships since she and her husband called it quits. According to the Lammer Inquiry, Brenda did use prescription painkillers and she was known to give or sell them. To friends from time to time mm. but that's as far as any sort of quote-unquote criminality went mm-hmm. with brenda mm-hmm. randy druken was born on may 21st 1965 he'd grown up in the same neighborhood as brenda young randy's mom shirley and josephine dyke had been friends for a long time randy and brenda knew each other growing up they were friendly but they'd never dated or anything yeah Randy was one of eight children with two sisters and five brothers. Some of the Druken boys were known around the city for their involvement in drugs and a penchant for being scrappy, often involved in fights. Mm. Randy himself got four years in prison for armed robbery in 1986. So he was 21.
1: Yeah.
0: When he got out, trouble found him again, and he went back to prison for another three and a half years for aggravated assault after stabbing someone during a violent altercation. And that's the stabbing that was mentioned above in Petal's notes.
1: So he's not that old and we're already looking at eight years almost of prison time done.
0: That's right. Somehow, before Randy's release from prison in the spring of 1991, he and Brenda became involved. Brenda, over the phone, invited Randy to stay with her when he got out. And Randy helped her move into her apartment at Empire Avenue. He'd spend some nights with Brenda and others with his mom and his stepfather, John Ring. Hmm. Now, here's another weird sort of coincidence. Ring was my birth grandfather's name on my mother's side. Oh. So the name stood out to me. Again, it's a very small world in the Maritimes, yeah. and I would not be surprised if I were related to John Ring in some way.
1: Yeah, it's not a very common name. No,
0: it's not at all. Apparently, a prison had not slowed Randy down much. Brenda and he would often argue about his alcohol, drug use, and other lifestyle choices that she disapproved of. Despite the fighting, Randy moved in with Brenda and would be in and out of the residence over the next two years until Brenda's death. Brenda would either kick him out or he'd storm off in a huff after a fight, but they always seemed to reconcile as couples caught in that cycle often do. Mm -hmm. In August of 1991, Randy got himself locked up for drinking and drug possession while on parole. He was out again in early September. Randy's freedom, though, didn't last long. He was back in jail again on November 1991 for the same reasons. He went through a three-week drug treatment program and was released again in January 1992. He violated parole again in 1992 and ended up behind bars for another few months. So
1: Randy's relationship with prison is pretty good.
0: Yep. Yeah, he's got... He has had a good relationship with prison. Yeah. From the Lammer Inquiry Report, quote... During the times he was living with Brenda Young, there were frequent arguments between them, some of which became violent. He was attempting to quit drinking, but would relapse, and this, as well as his drug use, would lead to further arguments. Brenda told her friends and her grandmother about being beaten by Randy Drukin. It appears her grandmother, Josephine yes. Dyke, had little sympathy for her and continued to believe that Randy Drukand was a fine young man and that she must be the cause of the problems between them." End quote. <laughs> Uh, so his mother-in-law. Yeah, so is, Brenda's mum. Yeah, is saying, no, he's a good chap. It's not really his mother-in-law because they were never really. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Maybe yeah. common-law, maybe. Uh, common-law,
1: but, but so she's like, he's a good chap.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, that's a, interesting. Okay.
0: Yeah. In the middle of January, 1993, things spun out of control randy finally realized he needed help after hitting brenda in the face and throwing a heavy ashtray through a window during mm. one of their fights Jeez. randy was arrested and incarcerated again he willingly attended a counseling program while in jail randy got out of jail on april 1, 1993 and went to work at the cemetery with brenda's grandfather john ring things were looking up for a short time at least On May 22nd, after another of Randy's violent outbursts, Brenda was done and threw him out for good. Hmm. They couldn't live together anymore, she said.
1: So at this point, Randy was what, roughly 30?
0: He would have been 28. Hmm. Yep.
1: Okay. I just got mathed.
0: Yep. Randy moved back in with his folks, but he and Brenda kept talking. He didn't want to break up. Randy agreed to attend family violence counseling to prove to Brenda he was willing to change. He went to his first session on June 9th, 1993. Oh, this is also just days before she shows up dead. Okay. On June 10th, 1993, Randy Druken was drinking again. Oh boy. He started at a friend's place, continued to a few local watering holes before landing on Brenda's doorstep around midnight. Mm -hmm. Brenda was on the phone with her grandmother, Josephine, when Randy arrived, pissed out of his mind and angry. Okay. All right. Everyone, especially Josephine, seemed to think Randy was a great guy, but Brenda had an idea. She decided she would tape record one of Randy's tirades mm. just to show how crazy he really sounded. In the wee hours of June 11th, 1993, just over 24 hours before she was found murdered, Brenda hit record and secretly taped Randy Druken in a rage.
1: Oh man, okay.
0: From the Lammer Inquiry Report... The tape was discovered after her death and was transcribed. Randy Druken appears to be accusing her of something, but is generally incoherent. She repeatedly accuses him of being on cocaine that night and tells him he is making no sense. At one point, he tells her how much he loves her, but then accuses her of lying to him. She tells him how much she disliked their past arguments and his violence and how frightened she was of him at times. Mm. He replies that he was wrong and sorry and didn't mean to do it. At this point, he appears to be crying. The tape ends with him asking her not to be afraid of him since he would never hurt her. This tape provides some insights into the nature of their relationship.
1: Okay, I mean, I try not to jump to conclusions. That's not really true. But,
0: uh... You typically do. To me,
1: this is leaning quite heavily towards Randy, but let's see how it plays out. Yeah.
0: Randy slept most of the day on Brenda's living room couch, missing work due to his hangover. Brenda drove Randy home at 10 p.m. that night. Randy's mom, Shirley, took note of the time when Randy walked in. It was 10.10 p.m., she said. Shirley said then Randy went to bed around 10.30 p.m. Sure, it's a good time to sleep. Brenda visited a friend for an hour or so and then picked up chicken salad at the Wendy's drive through around 12.30 p.m., drove home her place at Empire Avenue.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Brenda was last seen alone returning from Wendy's by her neighbor Phyllis Duke at around 1.15 a.m. They chatted about the weather and Brenda went into the house. Hmm. The next morning, the same time Randy Druken was being driven to work by his stepfather John Ring, Cindy Young was discovering Brenda's body in the living room of their home. Ah, <sighs> okay. Hmm. And we'll take a break right here. And we're back. Yes, we are. What do you think so far, Scott? Well, I have been thinking, Randy, Randy, Randy,
1: all up until that last paragraph. Right. Because those last two paragraphs. His mom. Although parents are usually not the best witnesses because there is a bit of bias involved, but... She dropped him off there. Yep. He, mom says he went to bed at ten thirty. That's what mom says. Yeah, that's what mom says. And that's then what he was, mom says. and then he was being driven home mm-hmm. or be driven to work
0: at eight thirty in the morning. W-
1: when yeah. when her body is found. Yep.
0: Cindy and Josephine were taken back to the police station for questioning and gave statements in the early afternoon. Constable Janine Bags and Constable Hogan of the child abuse unit were tasked to handle the interview with Cindy as they had special training in how to speak with a child who'd just been through a traumatic event. Oh, good, yes. Cindy recalled hearing a big bang and heard soft voices, one belonging to her mother and the other to a male she was unable to identify. She said the man's voice was unfamiliar, that she'd never heard it before. Mm-hmm. A man's voice.
1: Yeah. Contrary to uh, earlier vehicle statement where she said it was Randy.
0: Right. Interesting. A male voice, but
1: yeah, saying this time she didn't recognize. Okay.
0: From Constable Baggs' account as given to the Lammer inquiry, quote, I cannot recall all the details, but Cindy did say her mother called out to her. Yep. So while Baggs and Constable Hogan yep. are having a chat with Cindy. Yep. In barges, Lieutenant Petal. Okay. He wants to ask the questions.
1: Oh, okay. Interesting. Why not leave it with the professionals? That's um, that's
0: a great point. I'm no lieutenant. From Constable Baggs' account as given to the Lammer Inquiry, quote, I cannot recall all the details, but Cindy did say her mother called out to her. Lieutenant Peddle responded by saying something similar. You mean your mother called out to you to help her and you didn't go? Whoa. Cindy said no. He also said something like, what would your mother say? If she knew, you knew who did this to her, and you didn't tell. Cindy was holding her doll in her hands and was wrenching it during this brief interview. I do not recall any mention of Randy Drukin's name at that time. End quote. God, I just keep getting
1: more pissed off. It's true how this lieutenant pedal is handling handling this. Yeah, like this child, you couldn't get more traumatized than yeah. finding a parent murdered, and now you're being made to feel guilty because you didn't help
0: her. That's the last thing this kid needs. Holy shit, lieutenant pedal! Cindy was re-interviewed days after, and according to the Lammer Inquiry, her story changed again. Most likely, as she was asked very leading questions. Mm-hmm. Cindy was now sure the male voice she'd heard was that of Randy Druken. So you see where this is going. After hearing about Brenda's murder on a scanner, John Ring went to the cemetery and told Randy Druken about what had happened. And the two drove over to Brenda's apartment, arriving around 9.35. They approached police who had secured the scene and verified what was going on. Yeah. Randy Druken, who is normally cagey and evasive with police, said he was willing to help in any way he could. Okay, yeah. So not, this is not a street-smart criminal Yep. who often lawyers up and says, I'm yep. not saying a word. Yep.
1: This is very uncharacteristic Absolutely. for somebody who may have done a crime like this.
0: From the Lammer Inquiry Report, quote... While at the station, Randy Druken cooperated fully with the police, including permitting photographs to be taken of his face and hands and removing his shirt to permit photographs of his chest and back. Yep, He provided samples of his head and pubic hair and nail clippings. He permitted blood samples to be taken from his arm by a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. He provided a urine sample for drug testing, submitted to a full interview, even though aware he was not under arrest and free to leave at any time. And he consented to the search of his home and revealed where the clothes he wore the previous night would be found, end quote.
1: You're making it very difficult for me to now blame Randy. I'm starting to get a bit, um, Isn't it
0: confusing now? Yeah. Randy even submitted to a polygraph examination on the day after Brenda's murder, but the results were inconclusive. Okay, well... The evidence gathering at Brenda's home continued... At least 18 people had been in and out of the apartment on the day of Brenda's murder, and one officer had even accidentally left one of his own footprints in Brenda's blood as he was picking up other evidence. Jeez. It was determined that Cindy had bled out on the couch, sometimes referred to as Chesterfield in Atlantic Canada, yeah. and it was unclear how she had ended up on the floor. Had somebody moved her? <laughs> Brenda had been autopsied right away. It was determined that she died between 2 and 4 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> Neighbors were interviewed, and a few had heard knocking between 2.30 and 3 a.m., and two people talking on the stairs, a man and woman, as they were walking up to Brenda's apartment. There was one person who had seen the man in question. Oh. Her name was Julie Evoy, and she lived next door to Brenda in the upstairs apartment in the fourplex. Okay. Okay. She had even spoken with this man briefly. Whoa. Well, that's pretty uh, evidentiary. From the Lammer Inquiry Report, quote, Julie Evoy was interviewed by Constable Randell a few hours after Brenda Young's body was found. She was divorced and lived with her two sons, aged 21 and 22. She stated that she was watching a movie with her younger son when she heard a knock on their back door between 2.30 and 3 a.m. Oh. The statement continues. I opened the door and a young fellow said, either brenda or is brenda there i said no next door and i closed the door i heard this person knock on brenda's door but i didn't hear it open the doors are immediately adjacent to each other and mrs evoy then returned to watching the movie approximately 10 to 15 minutes later they heard sounds like someone moving furniture but thought the noise was coming from downstairs end quote
1: holy shit so um
0: was it Randy? Know, is it your question?
1: Well, no. My first thought is I don't know how you guys do things on uh, the East Coast, but when somebody comes a knocking at my door, my back door at, at three, two two at, thirty three in the morning, deal. I'm not answering. It, it
0: depends on the neighborhood.
1: I'm not even opening the curtains to see who's
0: there. That's because we live in Surrey, Scott. Well,
1: I lived in a few places and at (laughs) no point in time would 2.30 be the People aren't typically
0: afraid of knocks on the door. Wow. Yeah.
1: 2.30 a.m. Okay. But yeah, uh, I I would imagine she would know who Randy
0: is. The man that Mrs. Evoy described did not match the description of Randy Drukhan, but it was a dead ringer for Randy's brother, Paul. Paul was also well known to police. He flat out refused to participate in a lineup.
1: Hmm, okay.
0: Um, well, that spells suspicious. Interesting. And I can't actually spell suspicious. Constable Bags took Ms. Evoy to the provincial courthouse where she knew Paul Drukin would be. When Mrs. Evoy saw Druken, she grabbed Constable Bags' arm. Hmm. Ms. Evoy said she could not be a hundred percent sure that this was the same man as his hair was slightly different than the night she'd seen him. Lieutenant Petal interviewed Brenda's downstairs neighbor, Mrs. Dooley, multiple times, and her story changed a bit each time that she was interviewed. She even claimed to have her dates confused at some points. The thing that interested Petal the most was the conversation that uh, Mrs. Dooley claimed she'd overheard. Hmm. In one interview, she said she heard Brenda say, "'Stop, Randy. Don't do it anymore.'" Hmm. At around 1.30 a.m. on the night of Brenda's death. A subsequent interview, after being told her son had failed a polygraph and may be implicated in the murder, she had even more detail. Oh. From the Lammer Inquiry Report, quote, She heard around 1.15 a.m. two people going up the stairs to Brenda's apartment. Around 1.30 a.m., she heard Brenda cry out, No, Randy, no. Don't do it anymore. Randy, stop, will you? Leave me alone. Stop. Brenda was screaming this out, and it went on for a while. She did not think she was being stabbed, but thought it might be just another fight between Randy and Brenda, end quote.
1: So why is it every time Lieutenant Petal gets involved and some time passes, suddenly people have more recollection of it being Randy? Very strange.
0: Uh, Super strange. The theory was that Randy Drukhan had committed the murder between 1.15 and 1.30, and that Paul Drukhan had come by between 2.30 and 3 to help clean up his brother's mess. Okay. The problem with this, though, is there was no evidence of any attempt to clean up at all present in Brenda's home. Hmm. At Petal's urging, police interviewed Phyllis Duke, the downstairs neighbor, 11 times. Woo. And she'd given six written statements. Oh, wow. Each one slightly different.
1: Which, I mean, depends on what is slightly different, but I could understand that.
0: Police had been to the Dooley's apartment. These are the people who claim to overhear Brenda using Randy's name. Yeah. 34 times. In all these interviews, timelines become very confused. Yeah, no kidding. On August 11th, 1993, with no arrest in Brenda's murder, Shirley Druken and her common law husband, John Ring, were charged with obstruction of justice for providing Randy's alibi. Okay. On August 20th, 1993, Randy Druken in jail two days, uh, in jail since two days after the murder, um, because he had breached his parole again, oh, okay. was arrested and charged with the first degree murder of Brenda Young.
1: Okay. So the police are hog wild on, on Randy here.
0: Yeah. In jail, a man who'd been charged with fraud, theft and forgery, went to authorities claiming that Randy Druken had made a confession to him while in custody, saying he had done Brenda's murder. But some of the facts didn't match up. The man claimed that Druken had killed Brenda in the kitchen and moved her to the living room, but there was nothing to substantiate that any part of the murder had taken place in the kitchen. As well, there were numerous other inconsistencies mentioned in the Lamoury Inquiry's report. The informant failed to polygraph but it was rationalized away by investigators who presumed he was hiding a quote homosexual relationship with randy druken but they didn't address that with the witness at all nor did they try to approve that theory regardless of all the red flags the informant would become a key witness for the prosecution in randy Drukin's murder trial i'm so confused yes <laughs> At trial, as evidence was being presented, a doily that had been collected at the scene in Brenda's apartment was removed from a plastic bag and a cigarette butt fell out. Okay. The cigarette butt would later become very important to Randy Druken, but that would be years later. Hmm. The prosecution proved their case, and on March 18, 1995, Randolph John Druken was convicted of the second-degree murder of Brenda Marie Young.
1: Ah, <sighs> okay. I think I see where the cigarette's going to come into play.
0: Three years later, on August 10th, 1998, the jailhouse informant came forward. He admitted he'd made the whole thing up. Fuck. He said that Randy Druken had not confessed to him at all. He claimed the police had bullied and coerced him into telling the story when they learned the two were chatting with each other in the cells. Hmm. At least 18 additional charges were laid against the now apologetic man for his deception in wow. Randy Drukin's trial.
1: Wow, okay. So there's and, consequence for him for coming forward.
0: Absolutely. Well... You know, and he's probably willing to face the music too, Yeah, right? Cause which he feels bad because he sent somebody, possibly sent somebody away for murder.
1: Which puts a lot of credibility into, instead of getting somebody some freedoms Well, for, maybe
0: there, he had another reason to do it. Who well, knows? Yeah,
1: often that, that can be the case, but uh, he's facing some challenges yeah. from it and he's still there. In
0: 1999, the cigarette butt that had fallen out of the doily at trial was tested for DNA and it came back with an interesting result. hmm it belonged to Paul Druken, hmm. Randy's brother, who had since died of a drug overdose.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Paul Druken had definitely been at the crime scene. Yeah. A second trial was ordered, and after six years behind bars in July of 1999, Randy Druken was released on bail pending the new proceedings. Mm-hmm. The Crown ordered a stay in proceedings in August of 2000. The Crown later admitted they had wrongfully convicted Randy Druken. It was also determined that if Paul Drukhan had still been alive, he would have been charged with Brenda's murder. Yeah. The obstruction charges against Shirley Drukhan and John Ring were also found to be groundless and abusive.
1: Oh, wow. So the, much trauma involved in right? this incident.
0: Just a big cock up. The Lammer inquiry went ahead looking into the three wrongful convictions in Newfoundland. Uh, Brenda's, uh, mm-hmm. or Randy's wrongful conviction being one of them. The report with annexes is 490 pages, chock full of systematic mess-ups and confused witnesses. The report made numerous recommendations to prevent these things from happening again, and many of those have now been implemented.
1: Ooh, almost 500 pages. That's a lot. It was of... a lot of reading, yeah. let's just say.
0: Yeah. I only read the parts that uh, were related to this particular case, but it kept referring to other cases. Mm. As that mm, Okay. Similar police officers were involved in for, for real, huh? For oh, real.
1: Well, yeah, I guess once shifty, always shifty.
0: Yeah. The Newfoundland government eventually compensated Randy Druken for his wrongful conviction. Good. From a national post article printed on december fifteenth, two thousand six, written by Brian Callahan entitled quote, Drug Addict Wins Two Million Dollars in Wrongful Conviction Case, we get a little bit of insight. Um. Quote, mr druken meanwhile knows people will be cynical about the cash what he'll do with it and his chances of survival he still has a serious oxycontin addiction and is fighting back with critical methadone treatments but he slipped before and admits he'll probably slip again people are entitled to their opinions right i can't do nothing about that right but it can happen the first step for me is to realize I'm powerless over it. If I fall off the horse, I'll get back on. But I'm, I'm going to do this, fight the drugs. I'm going to try. After everything I've been through, it would be a real shame if I didn't make it. Mm. Mr. Druken, 41, only began learning to read while he was in jail in 1985. He says he'll get involved with children, teaching them to avoid the same criminal and illiterate pit it cost him a good chunk of his life. End quote. Oh, wow. So did that one turn out anywhere near what you expected? No, no. Once you start to hear about Paul, you kind of.
1: It just goes to show though that how easy it can be for detectives to just hone in on somebody and stick with that. Well, you've seen it. It happens all the yeah. time, but it, you know, I guess that's why I'm not a cop.
0: I wonder if, uh, I think this would make a good episode of the confession tapes, Oh, or, probably so. Well, I yeah. guess maybe not because he didn't ever confess. But it would make um, it would make a good documentary to, yeah, to dig yeah. dig deeply into this.
1: And I'm not gonna lie, the title to that article is pretty. Yeah, that's terrible. Why, that's why I quoted it. Drug addict wins yeah. two million and it's not not innocent man released from prison and provide a drug. And
0: that's why I made sure that I put that title in Mm -hmm. because, and I made sure that I clearly hit on the fact that I did not write that title because I found it really offensive too.
1: Yeah. uh, That's really, really disgusting. Yeah. I don't know who, uh, Brian Callahan. I mean, somebody could
0: say of me, alcoholic and drug addict has podcast. Yeah. I mean, it, they definitely could say that. That's
1: just a gotcha headline. That's just a clickbait
0: before clickbait. It's shitty. Yeah. It's, it's really,
1: it yeah. Yeah. Like, oh
0: my God. Yeah. My concerns also are like, what, what, what happened to Cindy and Tyrone? I'm sure, you yeah. know, their great grandma and their step great grandfather took care of them and other family members, but that had to have, that has to impact a child. In a, in a way that you can't come back from.
1: You have trauma following trauma following trauma. Like th- right. these, these poor kids are constantly victimized. Yeah.
0: And when you think like everything's been solved. Yeah. It turns out this wasn't the case yeah. at all. And well, it just reopens all those wounds again.
1: And a, and a re-traumatizing. And so, yeah. yeah, like the opportunity to overcome continues to get more and more difficult. Like it's really, really, oh, these poor kids. I know. I, I really hope to hell they are flourishing and, and doing great because they deserve to.
0: Yeah, both of them would be in their 30s today. Yeah, so. they
1: deserve to. They, they have struggled. They've had to deal with enough. And so, yeah, they absolutely... Uh, I hope to hell they're doing great, and they deserve everything good.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, we may eventually cover those other two cases that are mentioned mentioned in mm-hmm. the Lam, Lammer query Report, but uh, uh, because they're just as they're just as compelling uh, for different reasons. Yeah. But I think we'll hold off on those two for a while. I was thinking about doing a trilogy, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, but no, i I've, yeah. I've got we've got some other things that we want to yeah, cover. Yeah. Yeah. So. We will come back to this for sure.
1: What a, a, a incredible and difficult and frustrating case
0: this was. Right? Yeah. I, I got all the feels. Got all the feels. Yeah. So it's a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah. This one for sure. Yeah. Um, so it's time to lighten things up a little bit. Thank you, Mike. You're welcome. Uh, we have our new phone number, as you're well aware, and it's toll free. one 327 5786 or 1877
1: dark ptn 1877 dark
0: ptn so uh, again people have been calling us let's let's see oh, God. let's see who called us this week
1: I'm waiting for just some rabble rousing I over.
0: haven't listened to these
1: okay great well look, this could one be
0: is, one is a minute 46 and the other one's 237 so let's holy let's, jesus let's listen to this uh it's a local one, so it's a 604 number. Let's see who it was and uh, whether or not we'll actually keep it.
2: <laughs> hey guys, it is Cindy, the leaner Trainer, one of your Patreons. So I just wanted to say that you guys have inspired me to do some work towards what will eventually be a master's thesis on victims in the criminal justice system. Um, listening to the uh, Duggan story, I really felt for the family And I couldn't understand all of this talk about WCB being the source for victim services because my experience um, in my employ is that victim services is, like, well-funded per se. They have all of these programs, um, which came about as a result of the fellow in um, Coquitlam whose son was stabbed and also um, the uh, dragging of uh, the young man at the uh, gas station in Maple Ridge. All of these victims, the families of these these, um, victims... Um, got all kinds of uh, programs put in place through their activism. But I was really, really struck by the lack of support for the Duggan family. And so what I have experienced in the criminal justice system is that, um, you know, families and and the support people for the victims and the families of the victims need help and, and services years and years later because often after the trial, that... When the real need kicks in, when the fight and flight is gone and all you're left with is the loss, that's when the PTSD starts. That's when the post of the trauma starts and when the real services are needed. Um, So, yeah, I have decided to start doing a master's and eventually go back and get a master's of law because of your podcast. So thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Holy shit.
0: Wow. That's awesome. Cindy. Wow. Thank you. That's uh yeah. Thanks for telling us that. We really appreciate it. And oh, um, yeah, wow. it, now those things are really more available to victims' families. But um, in 1993, they were not. Yeah. You know, so uh, this is why the Duggins still to this day were not able to access their the funds that yeah. other families would have been able to access. But
1: thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was an amazing, powerful message and it means a lot. So thank you.
0: Yeah. So I have another bit of news before we get to our next voicemail that's relevant to this. A detective Mm. in Edmonton Mm. reached out to me. Okay. She heard me tell my story in episode 10 and she wants me to come on and explain my feelings and to give my perspective as somebody who survived an attempted abduction and sexual assault. Apparently I'm gonna be talking to a group taking courses on sexual assault through the Edmonton Police Services. Wow. To some people over Skype, yeah.
1: That is pretty incredible.
0: Yeah. I guess I'm gonna be doing that in February. Wow, what, right.
1: a, what a neat and uh, awesome experience. And I said absolutely
0: I'd do that. I, yeah. I need a bit of more time to, to write it out yeah, again and, yeah. and make sense of it, but, but yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, pretty cool. Very cool. I love that our what we do is inspiring these kind of things.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's really um, an unexpected offshoot for me, to be honest with
0: you. For sure. Here's another voicemail that I haven't yeah, listened to. It's <laughs> great, great.
3: Hey, dudes. My name is Lindsay. I'm on the uh, yard. I just wanted to say that I love you guys so much. You make my work day so much easier and more fun in a very dark way. (laughs) Um, I'm a house cleaner, so I go into really nice houses, I put in my ear pods, and I I listen and listen. I'm all caught up. It's taken me about a year, but um, I love you guys. I found you through my favorite murder. And I also just wanted to say that um, around Christmas, (laughs) I posted something on the Umbryard that um upset a couple people i really appreciate not deleting it it was about uh if you wanted to make your husband happy or whoever and you don't have any money put a negative pregnancy test in a stocking and um i meant it all in good fun because i had actually taken a pregnancy test and it was negative and it was like a whoo But anyway, I didn't mean to ever hurt anyone's feelings, and I never mean to hurt anyone's feelings. I absolutely love you guys, and I love Carol. I think she is fantastic. So if you guys ever come to Boston Mass, I would absolutely love to experience your podcast live, Um, and I know many people who would, I brag about you guys, not in a preachy way that's obnoxious. (laughs) because <laughs> I want you to have followers. <laughs> but anyway, um, go shit in your hat. And But I really feel bad saying that. But I guess, I don't know. I'm from Massachusetts, so I guess I feel bad, which is weird because we're math holes. So anyway, take care and thanks so much.
0: Well, thank you so much, Lindsay. You
1: uh, never feel bad for telling us to shit in our hats. Never we, feel we, bad for we
0: love it. Although the Bruins suck. But oh. anyway... Uh, <laughs> We don't want to go don't there. get me started. That's, yeah. They don't suck. They actually just beat us. That's, that's the problem. Which makes them suck. This yeah. is the problem we have with them. They did. They beat us. It's pretty but much the problem we have with know every what, other Lindsay, hockey team. Uh, that, that joke is just fine by us. So that's why it stayed. And Carol definitely appreciates the love that people give to her. Uh, she, she really needs it lately. So yep. just keep it up. Yep. Yeah, so that's it for the voicemails for this. Well, week, those are
1: two really nice, wonderful voicemails. I agree. Yeah,
0: yeah, so, yeah. So thank you guys. Thank you both. And again, our number is one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N.
1: One eight seven seven Dark Putin.
0: Give us a call. Um, so let's let's get on to these Patreon shows. Yeah, let's, let's get our on to usual ball of wax here, the thing that we typically do. Miriam Vizhniak. Yep. Where's Miriam from?
1: Oh, uh, Miriam. Did you say Vizhniak?
0: Vishniak. Yeah. Yes. Not to
1: be confused with Vazhniak.
0: Uh, okay. We, we don't. Yeah. Okay.
1: No, you, you, people confuse them. People confuse them. All right. They're both computer scientists. Okay. Based out of, uh, Lithuania. Lithuania. Yeah. And so you very similar uh, names in Lithuania and uh, Lithuanian, I believe, is what the language is called. And, uh,
0: and what does she do there?
1: It, the computer science. Oh, right. right yeah. Says. Yeah. Yeah. But not probably not what you think it means.
0: What does it mean?
1: She teaches computers to be scientists.
0: Oh, yeah. I think you hit your head. Yeah, <laughs> Many. I don't even want to go there. Steve Dunn's from Ottawa, Ontario. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Steve. I love Ottawa. It was a great city. I was surprised at how much I liked it there. I hear that. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. I really dug it. A, lo- a local person. Okay. Ryan Gerber from Richmond, British Columbia. Thanks, Ryan Gerber. We appreciate we you. We very much do. Also, uh, somebody from Australia, oh. Megan Markin from Frankston South. Not
1: Megan Markle?
0: Uh, no, mm-hmm. we don't want to go there with Megan Markle, but Megan Markle, thank you so much.
1: We really appreciate everything that's going on in Australia, Australia right yeah. now. We really, really appreciate, uh, you taking the time to show us some, a little bit of love. Cause that's, uh, we love wow. the love. Yeah, we do.
0: Next up we have Jason Magot. Oh. Uh, Mago. Yep. Okay. Where's Jason from? Oh, uh. It looks like a French name. Yeah. He- last name.
1: Yeah, Jason is French.
0: Okay. Yeah,
1: lives in. I'm trying to remember. It's in the Philippines. It's a little town. Okay. Uh, manila. Yes,
0: that's a big town. Well,
1: but it's, the word is small.
0: Okay. The name is small. So, does he make Manila envelopes? And... That's just
1: that's that's just
0: not funny, Mike. What does he do? Uh, he makes Manila envelopes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is he like the guy who puts the glue on them?
1: No, he's the guy who paints them yellow. Oh. Yeah.
0: You think they're painted yellow?
1: Yeah, aren't they for you?
0: Not painted.
1: Yeah, no, they're hand painted. Each one is hand painted.
0: Wow, you must have some fancy manila envelopes. I do,
1: I do, made specifically by Jason.
0: Or should I say envelopes? I don't know. What is the right envelope sp- is more fancy envelope. than envelope. I'd say envelope, I think. <laughs> JD Chambers from Mansfield, Ohio. Oh nice. JD Ohio. JD. JD. From Ohio. Hey, thanks, JD, from Ohio. Tune in. Tune in, JD. We much appreciate that. Yeah. Kai Patricia from Port Coquitlam, British Columbia. Oh, well, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump away. Former home to uh, Robert William Pickman. That's what they like
1: to be referred to as. Yeah, I'm sure there. I'm sure Kai That's exactly does, what.
0: Has no relation to. Robert Picton. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's how they they had they put that on the sign when you're driving into the town.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, Next up, we have John. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, There is a last name attached to his email, but I don't want to give it away. Yeah. If they've just put because if he just wants to refer to himself as John, let's just say it starts with a V, as in Victor. Okay. So John V. John V. Is he like well, this is a one tough. of the aliens from V? Yeah,
1: I think so. That's all. This one, we're, but just based on the information we have, Mike, we're going to have to break from our normal tradition and make something up for this person.
0: So he's <laughs> he's from space. He, yeah. He's, he's uh, an alien that- Zortob. Is, he's from the Z- planet Zortob. He's from the planet Zortob. Yeah. His job here is to integrate. And part of his integration- That's the is, job here. Is giving uh, uh, a donation- to yeah, the Umber Yard, or to the uh, Dark Poutine Podcast. That,
1: that's yes, that's his role here on Earth. Yeah, on what did
0: I call it? Zorton. Zortob.
1: Zortob. On Zortob, uh, his job was to put the um, lime and the coconut, flirt herbs, oh. into the uh, uh Katuf Moods. Oh yeah. right. Yeah. That, apparently, that hurts when that happens. It, oh Jesus, tell me about it. That's why. That's probably why he only didn't leave a last name.
0: Next up, we have Emma Liz. Oh, thanks, Emma. And she's from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Whoa. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, home of those darn penguins. Yeah. That also pound us every... What is it with every other team? They're all... <laughs> <laughs> I hate them all. Well, actually, the Canucks had been on a bit of a...
1: They were on a bit yeah. of a tear recently,
0: yeah. yeah. A bit of a tear, winning eight in a row. That was, That's pretty damn that good. That is pretty good. So thank you, Emma. Thank you so much, much Emma. Appreciate it. Yeah. Say hi to Sydney. Next up, Dee Dee Baldwin. That might be the best name I've ever heard. Dee Dee Baldwin? Yeah. Where is she from?
1: Dee Dee Baldwin is from uh, the Sioux.
0: Oh, uh, Sault Ste. Marie. Sault Ste. Marie. Oh, interesting. And, And what does she do in Sault Ste. Marie? Uh... Does she work in the Tim Hortons I was at?
1: No, she, she's
0: a, it was, yeah. it's, it's either that or a hotel. Those are the only two things well, I remember from the Sioux. She's a whale. And Samantha Meadows, of she's,
1: course. She's a whale hunter.
0: There's no whales in Sioux St. Marie. That, I'm pretty yeah. certain.
1: No, I know. That didn't say. Oh, she's, pe-
0: she's over hunted.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's hunted all the whales in, in the, whales the Sioux. No, well, I mean, I didn't say she has a good job. No, <laughs> I didn't say it to, it, she's, it's not a real well-paying yeah, job because there's no whales. Look, she saw, she, she just
0: walks around with like a big whaling hook.
1: Yeah. She saw the post on Craigslist. Yeah. She's not even, she's against whale hunting, but like her plan was to come into this job and sabotage it. Like, aha, I will thwart from the inside all of these whale uh, utensils for oh. hunting. Because they use utensils, and then she like she's just been waiting to get her first assignment, collecting a paycheck until that happens.
0: Well, thanks, Dee, Dee. <laughs> Yeah. Well, sh- yeah, but she's given us money, and she's she's broke.
1: No, no, she's getting paid. Oh, okay. She's getting paid regularly. She's just all like, "Wow, I, I, do they know they're still paying me?
0: Because right. they
1: haven't given me an assignment yet." Gotcha. Also, where are the whales? <laughs> she says often.
0: Next up from Toronto, Ontario, Joan or Toronto, 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 Joan O'Mara. Thank you, Joan. Thank you so much, Joan. Much appreciated. We really appreciate that, Joan. Cynthia Rashol. Yep. Where's Cynthia from? St. Petersburg. Florida or Russia? (sighs) Where do you think Mike?
1: Russia, obviously a Russian movie.
0: Well, thanks, Cynthia. Maybe I've
1: just, maybe I've just developed a wonderful friendship. I hope so. It's what I do. <laughs> Is it? It's what I do. I bring, I bring love.
0: Oh boy. Let's look at the activity here. Let's look at it. that's going to. All right. Let's talk about donut money. Yes, please. We got a gift received from Cassidy Johnson. Oh. And she says, would you please give a shout out to my sweetheart, Grace Reynolds." We really enjoy the podcast. Your friends from the Annapolis Valley, Nova Scotia, where I was conceived in that. Whoa, hubba, pattern. hubba. Right? Wonka, wonka. Grace, big shout out to you. I love the Annapolis Valley. It's yeah, beautiful. as you it should. It is beautiful. As
1: you should. I've never heard of it or been there, but as you should.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, Monet Ontario Again. Did Monet. her monthly thing. Thank Monet. you very much, Monet. Monet. And here we have one uh, from Diana Kashabi. Okay. Hi, Mike and Scott. I hope your loved ones had a great start into the new decade. Well, they were I need to so. apologize because 30 days after my last Donut Money donation, it was automatically refunded to me. Turns out PayPal doesn't like my euros and insists I send you Canadian dollars instead. To make up for this currency kerfuffle, <laughs> I'm doubling the Donut Money sending it to you from... In the form of proper, albeit digital, poutine gravy-drenched loonies and toonies, please know if PayPal still won't let you accept the donation, I might just have to attach some cash to a carrier pigeon and send it on its way across multiple time zones to Surrey, BC. Greetings from Austria diana thank that, you diana was a wonderful message and it we we got it
1: but please 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 send the carrier pigeon i would love just to get, put a note on there like wouldn't you what's up to home slices would just be the best thing ever but like so what like where would it go because it can they can they knock on doors they peck on the door <laughs> it's not. Gonna, i'm not gonna notice <laughs> they that
0: i'm pecking on the door. fly
1: into my well, window
0: and, and you're like you, oh if you're sitting beside your big window yeah. downstairs where you lay on the couch that's what i'm saying i'm pretty sure you're gonna hear pecking on. oh i'm
1: window. thinking more of a flap and the then window. you'll hear tinkle.
0: yeah <laughs> oh, that would be funny
1: yeah i uh, send it we want carrier pigeon we do do you get to keep the carrier pigeon i don't know I is think that you how it works send it back. but how do i like do i have to type an address into it like, how do I, like, what do I do? You attach a little address to his foot. Yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> and, and then he reads it. Yeah,
1: unfurls it and reads it. Ah, yeah. Oh, I know now. Yeah. They have all addresses memorized. Of course they do. People don't know this about pigeons, but we do.
0: Well, hey, that's why they're called homing pigeons, right? Because okay. well, they are- they Well, no, I, home. yeah, clearly. I go know to it. their home. Yeah, yeah. Last but not least, we have another Donut Money donation from- Martin Hawley. He didn't leave us a note, but thank you so much, Martin. We really appreciate uh, your support of the show. Merci beaucoup. Thank you so much to our patrons, past and present, as well as our current and past Donut Money donators. We really appreciate your support of the show. If you want to help support us, you can do so at patreon.com slash Or for one-time support, you can send us that donut money via PayPal at our email address, darkproteenpodcast at gmail.com. How about them apples? That was pretty neat. If you don't already, it would mean a lot to us if you subscribe to the show. You can easily find us on iTunes podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get that on-demand audio. Check out our website, darkpoutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Give us a like or follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine. Most importantly, tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. One more thing before we go. Our friends Tyler from The Minds of Madness and Justin from Generation Y have put out a new podcast. And it's called Deadly Misadventures. And you can hear that on Wondery+. Wondery's newest podcast explores some of the most terrifying real-life stories of people who came face-to-face with death. The podcast series raises the question on whether our choices control our destiny, or if it all comes down to luck. A roll of the dice. At the end of each episode, it'll be up to you to decide. To hear all Deadly Misadventures episodes ad-free exclusively on Wondery Plus, just go to wondery.fm slash deadly and subscribe today. Here's a few minutes of the show. The following episode deals with mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised.
4: Deborah Scaling Kylie sat in a rubber dinghy in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, reciting the Lord's Prayer in a desperate attempt to convince herself she hadn't gone mad. The water surrounding the boat had turned a sickly shade of red as the blood of her devoured crewmate rose to the surface. The Trashman Yacht had been lost at sea for three days, originally consisting of five crew members. What started out as a simple voyage had quickly turned into a hellish nightmare on the freezing and treacherous Atlantic waters. In this perilous tale, you can decide if the Trashman Yacht had been destined for disaster all along, or had it been a voyage made worse Due to a string of poor decisions by its crew members, or did it all come down to luck? A roll of the dice in this episode of Deadly Misadventures.
0: I knew that there would come a day I'm gonna do bad things Do it like it's nothing Being bad has never felt so good Doing bad things to
1: you Doing bad things to you
5: Unlike the ocean waters she eventually fell in love with, Deborah Scaling's early life was anything but calm. Born in Throckmorton, Texas in 1958, Deborah suffered through somewhat of an unhappy childhood. Her parents divorced when she was just a baby, and her mother went on to marry several more times before Deborah was even 10 years old. One of her mother's partners became physically abusive towards young Deborah, and by her early teens, she developed an eating disorder. An illness that stayed with her right until adulthood. However, Deborah didn't let these hardships consume her. She developed a resilience to these struggles, something which would aid her later in life. At age eight, Deborah attended Camp Grady Spruce in Texas, and it was there she discovered sailing for the first time. She spent her days sailing and worked on boats as a teenager, and by age 20, Her love for sailing overshadowed everything else in her life. So much so, she dropped out of her placement at the University of Texas to focus full-time on sailing. When one crew job ended, Deborah immediately began searching for the next one, quickly racking up some achievements on the high seas. Deborah took part in sailing competitions, such as Race Week in Antigua, and the prestigious Whitbread Race, becoming the first woman to successfully sail around the world.
4: Such grueling missions had hardened Deborah to a life at sea, and she believed that no voyage could defeat her, least of all, a simple five day trek from Maine to Florida.
5: In the fall of 1982, Deborah is floundering around. She's working as a waitress in Bar Harbor, Maine. Her only thoughts are about her next journey into the ocean. She decides to go down to the boatyard and advertise her services as a crew member. She will be contacted by a man named John Lippeth, the captain of the Trashman Yacht. If you spent any time on the water, you'll find that a lot of boats have weird or funny names. The Trashman was named after the owner's success in the garbage industry. John had been hired to deliver the yacht from Maine to a new owner in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Deborah thought John was a decent enough sailor, but she found that he wasn't very reliable. In the three weeks they spent prepping the trash man, Deborah frequently found him intoxicated at the boathouse bar. On some mornings, she found him passed out in the boat crew's quarters. Other sailors let her know that John had a quite unsavory reputation But his experience as a seaman spoke for itself. So Deborah gave him the benefit of the doubt. They were struggling to find additional crew members, so John brought along his girlfriend Meg. She had zero experience, had barely stepped on a yacht, but John didn't seem to care because he just wanted more warm bodies to help. In October 1982, The three set sail for Florida. They stopped in Annapolis, Maryland to pick up more crew. There they found Brad, Kavanaugh, and Mark Adams. Deborah was actually familiar with Brad and she trusted him as a competent sailor. Mark, however, she didn't know. Much like John, Mark was a heavy drinker. He was loud, brash, and aggressive, which was a perfect match for John, who ended up recruiting him immediately. Mark claimed he would soon be captaining a ship named the Ocean Greyhound. It was a prestigious yacht that took part in the Whitbread race, which Deborah had previously competed in. So with those credentials, Deborah assumed he must be a decent sailor. She had her doubts, so she decided to contact the owner of the Ocean Greyhound and ask about Mark. He told her he'd never heard of a Mark Adams, nor had he ever spoken to a Mark Adams and the ship wasn't even scheduled to be sailed anytime soon. Deborah began to have serious doubts about this trip, between the captain being untrustworthy, Meg's inexperience, and it turns out that Mark was a liar. So in Deborah's mind, only Brad could be trusted. While they were docked, Deborah took John aside and told him about her doubts and worries. She told him the crew they had assembled were incapable of making the trip and attempting to do so could put their lives at risk. When John pushed back, she said she didn't want any part of this journey. So John told Deborah, if she quit, he'd make sure she'd never sail again.
4: And so Deborah returned to the trashman and took off into the sea with her four crewmates. Little did she know. Her instincts were more trustworthy than she could have ever imagined.
2: You can hear all Deadly Misadventure episodes ad-free right now with a subscription to Wondery Plus. Start your free trial today at wondery.fm slash deadly plus.
0: Until next week, don't forget to be a good egg
2: and not
0: a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Goodbye.